God, our Father, we ask that by your spirit you would speak to us now and that you would lift up your son Jesus in our lives, in our world, in our city as we open up your word together. We come to you needy. God, many of us struggling with the pandemic and its ongoing effects in our lives. We come to you longing to know you more deeply and to know your life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. John the Evangelist, the writer of the Gospel of John, is explicit about the reason that he writes his Gospel. In chapter 20, verse 31, he says, but these, are, uh, but these are written, these signs, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John's aim is that his readers will come to know Jesus, that they'll come to believe in Jesus, and by believing have life in Jesus, this life that God longs to bring. And I should say that John's aims with his gospel are the same as our aims as a church. We long for people to come to know Jesus and to have life in his name. And that shouldn't be a secret. Honestly, uh, if you're not a Christian and you're listening in today, every Christian that you meet should have that deep desire and aim. It's not something that we're trying to hide or, or uh, be secretive about or, or sly about. It's something that's out in the open because we believe that life can be found in Jesus. That this is the place where we know what truth is and what... Um, forgiveness is and all the things that we're longing for are met in Jesus and I can imagine someone asking well you know why are you telling me where life is to be found don't we each get to define where we find life in our own lives and it's a fair and reasonable question and I know it's a popular thing in a culture that prizes tolerance and where truth is often understood as something that is simply personal but I want to say clearly that the conviction that we hold as a church comes straight from Jesus. It's his conviction as well and is taught regularly in the scriptures that Jesus is Lord and that in him and in him alone really there is true life, life that we can enjoy as it was created and as we were meant to enjoy it. And because of that we like John the evangelist who wrote this gospel we want others to come to know Jesus to have this life in him that we have found. This is as natural to us as taking a breath and it doesn't have to be awkward I think it's quite helpful to be explicit about this which means if you don't believe that Jesus is Lord or if you find the idea of truth with a capital T distasteful those are things that we can discuss together and that we would love to engage with you in honest dialogue about our invitation from the text today is to come and see Come along with us as we continue to hold up Jesus and get to know him. And that is a sincere and warm invitation. The text that we're looking at in John's gospel this morning is about the formation of the church. It's about when the earliest followers of Jesus were created, when they came into being. And in recounting that story, it says something to those of us who are not yet Christians. This is a great text to understand a bit more of what it might be like to encounter Jesus. And for those of us who are followers of Jesus already, this text helps us understand perhaps a bit more about how we might express that heart for others to come to know him more faithfully. So this text has something for all of us, however it is that we're approaching it this morning. 
We'll deal with this in four sections. How does an encounter with Jesus happen? What does this encounter entail? What are the results of this encounter? And then what does it promise in many ways? So how does this encounter with Jesus actually happen? At least according to our text. And it gives us three methods for encountering Jesus. Preaching is the first one. John the Baptist. Uh, The next day has come, verse 35. And in verse 36, he sees Jesus walking and he says, Behold the Lamb of God. This is what he had said the day before. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is John's repeated message. It's a message and all Christian preaching should always be about Jesus. And John shows us that example. And upon hearing that preaching, two of John's disciples get up and follow Jesus. They start following him. And that is the beginning of the newly defined people of God around Jesus that we now call the church. And it is the result of preaching. We only need to think about the growth of the church as it's recounted for us in the book of Acts to understand and see the centrality of preaching in the expansion of God's kingdom. Peter on the day of Pentecost preaches a spirit-empowered message about the crucified Jesus who has been raised and made Lord and Messiah and 3,000 are added to their number that day. Or later in the book of Acts in chapter 17, Paul walks into Athens and among many different philosophies and ways of thinking about life, Paul proclaims Jesus. Some didn't believe and walked away. Others had more questions, but we're told at the end of chapter 17 that many did believe and they began to follow him. Preaching has always had and maintains a central place in the expansion of God's people and in a way for uh, as a way for us to encounter Jesus. I had the joy recently of spending some time with Ron Barnt, a longtime member of this church family. And he shared the story with me of how he came to faith and he gave me his permission to share this with you. He he came to study at MIT in 1958 as a graduate student and when he did He wasn't really walking with God at the time. He had had some familiarity with Christianity, but it had not really taken root in his life. His roommate at MIT attended Park Street Church, and Ron asked his roommate if he could go along with him. And once he came, he was seated in the sanctuary, and he heard for the first time the preaching of Dr. Ockengay, and it gripped him. As he said, never before had he heard the truth so plainly and powerfully proclaimed. So he returned week after week to hear this preaching over and over again. And as he began to wrestle with the claims of Jesus more and more, reading C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity and other works, it was actually two more sermons by Dr. Ockengay that God particularly used to tear down the final barriers in his heart to coming to faith in Jesus. Encounters with Jesus can happen, can happen and do happen through the preaching of God's word that is focused on Jesus. In addition, and secondly, they can happen through sharing in families. We see this in the text. Andrew was one of those first two disciples that encountered Jesus. And after spending some time with Jesus, he says in verse 41 to his brother Simon, we have found the Messiah. Think of that passage in Isaiah 52, how beautiful are the the feet of those who bring good news who say to Zion, your God reigns. That was the message that Simon heard from his brother Andrew. And then verse 42, Andrew brought him to Jesus. So Simon's encounter with Jesus came about 
through the testimony and witness of his brother. One of the assistant pastors that I had the privilege of working with in the past came to faith in Jesus as an adult. He had been somewhat raised in the church, but during college and in his 20s, he had walked away completely from that way of life and it embraced a very different way of life. And he says it was the regular and routine invitations of his sister to join him, to join her and her husband in their church that finally led him coming back to Jesus. These weren't forced or belligerent invitations. They were persistent and faithful and I'm sure interspersed with conversations and meals together. And eventually after months of turning down the invitation, when he was finally ready, when he finally realized that the life that he had been pursuing was empty and didn't have what it promised, he said to his sister, fine, I'll go. And he went along with them and the Holy Spirit met him powerfully in that service that day. The invitation was always there. And through his sister and her husband and their church, he had an encounter with Jesus and was radically transformed. He still leads a church in his homeland of New Zealand to this day. So there's preaching. There's the simple relationships and family. And then third, in terms of how these encounters can happen, we see that there's the sharing of friends. Philip had met Jesus, and having met Jesus, he goes and finds his friend Nathaniel, and he gives a testimony about Jesus. Friendship is a conduit through which an encounter with Jesus can happen, and that's how the church grows. And it's not contrived or forced. This isn't about leveraging your relationships to kind of force some product or way of life upon someone else, but Philip's witness is clearly heartfelt, and he takes Nathaniel to Jesus, and Jesus then does the rest. John, the gospel writer, is making some critical points in our text about how encounters with Jesus will happen through preaching, through family, through friends. That leads me to ask a few questions. If you're not yet a Christian and you're interested in Jesus, are there members of your family or are there friends in your life that, from whom you could learn more? A few years ago, I was reading the story of a woman who came to faith in Jesus as an adult as well and she had been very successful, but she was becoming more and more discontent with her lifestyle. And she remembered that she had a friend in her prior workplace who was a Christian. This friend had identified herself as a Christian in some way to her colleagues. And so without anywhere else to really turn, she emailed this friend after not having seen her for some time and asked her if they could have a conversation on the phone. Her friend, of course, said yes. And they got on the phone together not long after and talked for an hour or more about about Jesus and about what God had been doing in this woman's life. She didn't know really much about Jesus, but her friend listened empathetically and was able to give her counsel and point her in the right direction to learn more about Jesus. I wonder if you know people in your life, if you're beginning to have a sense that there's something to this thing that is called Christianity, if you have a friend or a member of your family that you can connect with and ask more. I, I hope so. At the same time, if you're listening to this right now, you're listening to Christian preaching, and I hope that you will continue to do that. And I want you to know that we very much would welcome you in this church family to become those friends and members of your community to whom you can ask your questions and who will give you that invitation to come and see. If you are a Christian, a follower of Jesus, I wonder if you're the kind of friend or family member 
who is willing and available to engage those in your life who may want to ask questions and to know more. Like Philip to Nathaniel, are, are you willing to extend an invitation to come and see and then go with that person to explore Jesus more? Are you willing to give up your time to do so? Or are you outwardly associated with Jesus enough in your life, like this woman's friend that I just recounted, such that, that people know that at least that you have some kind of relationship to Jesus and that you walk with him so that they could turn to you if they're beginning to ask questions. So John, the gospel writer, gives us a few ways that these encounters would happen. Of course, there are other ways. This is not an exhaustive list. But John is bringing us to some basic, simple, humane ways in which encounters with Jesus are expanded and the church begins to grow. And these things, family, friends, and preaching, should always remain basic and central to us in the church as we think about how God's kingdom expands. Well, then what does this encounter entail? What does it entail to encounter Jesus? And I, I want to give you three things under this second point of ours. A probing question, a warm invitation, and a personal word. When the two disciples of John the Baptist come to Jesus, he asks them an amazing question. It, this is the first, these are the first words on the mouth of Jesus in the Gospel of John. So we are to listen up as he speaks them. And they are a great question. It's Jesus asks these disciples, what do you want? Or really, what are you seeking? What are you looking for? That's a beautiful question. Think about how gentle it is and how probing it is. What is your deepest longing? What are you looking for in your life? What are you seeking? To encounter Jesus will always mean that we will be asked this deep question about our heart and our deepest desires. What are you seeking? That's a question that unfortunately is sidelined for many of us in our lives. Particularly because of the frantic pace of our daily life. We push hard. We run fast. We work hard. We study hard. We are, we are on the path of upward mobility. But in the process, we often forget to think about what we're really seeking. Or on the flip side, we struggle deeply, burdened and anxious, just longing for some kind of relief to our present circumstances. Many of us feel this way in the midst of the pandemic. All we can seem to long for is just the return to what was normal, to life before the pandemic, to school being normal, to family rhythms being normal, to church being normal again, or life before cancer, or life before age hit us, etc. Or I want my job back. These are things that we begin to pine after and to long for. And it's easy for those things to consume us. Perhaps it's natural and, under, and, and very understandable that they do so. But when we concentrate on getting certain circumstances in place, and we begin to expect that only when those circumstances return to what we want them to be that we'll be okay. We're, we're actually covering up the deeper longings of our heart. This deeper seeking is there in all of us. And Jesus wonderfully and masterfully says, what are you seeking? What do you want? We can't encounter Jesus without that question being asked directly of us. I wonder if you know the answer. Do you know what you're seeking? Have you thought about that in a while? I have a friend 
uh, who has been examining the Christian faith for some time, though he hasn't yet entrusted his life to Jesus. But a couple of years into our friendship, he reached out to me to get lunch again. We hadn't seen each other in about six months. And as we were walking in Back Bay to get lunch together, before we even got to our lunch spot, he began to tell me that, you know, I just turned 50. I just had my 50th birthday, he said. And I've come to the place of seeing that life is more than what everybody keeps telling me that it's about. The approval of others, professional success, the acquisition of money and stuff. And I began to see through those things that they don't really satisfy. And he said, Mark, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to take more seriously this quest that I've been on. And understand what he is all about. It was a beautiful moment. As is always the case. The Holy Spirit had gone before me in that conversation. A few years before that conversation took place. I'd had the chance to preliminarily introduce this friend to Jesus. And to engage with him in some questions. And now here Jesus was stirring the waters. And asking this friend of mine the deepest question. What are you seeking? And that's the question that he will ask all of us as we encounter him. There's not just a probing question, but there's a warm invitation in these encounters. Those two disciples to whom Jesus asked that question, they respond in verse 38 with saying, Rabbi, where are you staying? Indicating that they were, at least in some sense, seeking Jesus already. They had heard the preaching of John the Baptist, let's not forget, and they came inquiring Wanting to learn more from this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus' next words are the next part of their encounter. He says, come and you will see. Verse 39. This is the invitation. How gracious our God is. That when we begin to have a stirring. When we begin to be dissatisfied with the things of this world. When we begin to explore Who he is, he invites us to come and see, to come into his world more deeply. The same words, though a different verb tense, are used on the lips of Philip when he interacts with his friend Nathaniel, who is cynical in verse 46. Philip says to him, we found the one that we're waiting for, the one about whom Moses and the prophets wrote. And Nathaniel expresses cynicism and doubt and says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip could have taken offense and tried to defend, but he doesn't. Like his master, like Jesus that he had already encountered, Philip says to Nathaniel, come and see. It's an honest, gracious, self-involved invitation. Philip says, come along with me, Nathaniel, and let's learn more about Jesus together. I wouldn't be surprised at all if some of you who are listening might be thinking, Can anything good come from Christianity? I mean, it seems like that's a message that's been tried and found wanting. There's churches all around the city that are already turned into condos. Isn't this a thing of the past? But the invitation remains. Come and see from Jesus and his followers. Bring your doubts with you. Bring your questions. Bring your skepticism. Bring your cynicism. Bring your deepest thinking about the world and humanity and God and religion. And come and see with us. We would love to walk with you in that together. The disciples, they took up Jesus's invitation. So verse 39, they went and saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. It was about the 10th hour, about four o'clock in the afternoon, and they spent time with Jesus. There must have been shared conversation and a shared meal and questions asked and answers given. And this was enough for them to believe 
We see in verse 41 that Andrew, who was part of the, was one of those two, goes to his own brother Simon and says, we found the Messiah. People often need time to come and see Jesus, to learn of him, to ask their questions, to experience the community of God's people, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Psalm 34, 8. And these earliest disciples, they were privileged to get to do that with Jesus in the flesh. Unfortunately for us, that is no longer an option in one sense. So where do people go? Where should you go? They go to scripture and to the church where Christ is proclaimed, where Christ is embodied in our life together, where Christ is discovered in our service of the world. Come and see is an invitation to be a part of our life together and to see Jesus with us as we study and get to know him through his word and as we love one another and make his love and presence manifest in and through our, our lives. In my prior context, we had a young man who was a part of the church who had come around the community for about 18 months or maybe a bit more, before he had come to the place of entrusting himself to Jesus and proclaiming that Jesus is Lord. And during those 18 months, he joined a small group. He came to worship. He heard Christian preaching. He got to have dinner with people in the community. He had several lunches with me. And throughout this entire time, he was able to make observations and ask his questions. And that helped him come to know Jesus. Enfleshed Christianity. Incarnate Christianity. A Christianity that is community with Jesus in word and sacrament and in deed and is active under his lordship in loving our city and our world and caring for the poor and advocating for and pursuing justice for all and pursuing reconciliation and right relationships. This is what all people who are inquiring of Jesus need to see. And I would say especially those who are part of the younger generations. They want to see Christianity being made real. And I want to invite them in to the community of God's people where that is to be known. Come and see this warm invitation. There's also a personal word. This encounter, at least this text leads us to expect that an encounter with Jesus entails Jesus speaking right to you. I've heard many times stories from people who come into a church and hear God's word and experience the worship of God's people and all they can do through the whole service is just weep. They're brought to tears because God is speaking to them a personal way, in a personal way of his grace and his truth. And this is sometimes how he does it in a way that moves the emotions. Other times God speaks directly to us through answering our questions and addressing our intellect. But always an encounter with Jesus means that he will speak to us personally. We see that here when Jesus speaks truthfully of both who we are and of who we shall be. In verse 47, Jesus speaks to Nathanael. He says, here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. He knows this man who is scrupulous and honorable and he tells him so. There are parts of you because you have been made in God's image that Jesus will speak to you and will affirm that he will acknowledge and he will honor there are, of course, parts of you and parts of me that Jesus, when he speaks personally to us, will rebuke and call us to let go of and to walk into transformation because of his love for us. But understand that you were made in God's image. And when you encounter Jesus, who is the embodiment of this God, this God made flesh, that he will put his finger on you and speak to you and affirm those parts of you that he has made in you as he does to Nathaniel. With Simon, Jesus' personal word is a, a little bit different. This is Andrew's brother, whom, of course, we know as Peter. 
But in this encounter, Jesus speaks to what Simon will be in verse 42. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter or the rock. Peter, as we know, as we know from the Gospels, denies Jesus. He's rash and impulsive. He's the farthest thing that we can think of from someone who should be described as a rock. But Jesus sees in Simon the Simon that he has created to be. He sees the repentant and redeemed and renewed and made whole Simon. And says, you are Peter, the rock. And just as he sees Peter in that way and speaks to him personally, so too does Jesus speak to those who encounter him in a personal way. Jesus sees who you were made to be. And he calls you into that with his gracious and loving word. He will give you a glimpse of that in your encounter with him. Ask him to do so. Let him take you there. Let him speak to you personally. So what are the results of this encounter? This is our third section. And they're they're quite simple, actually. And it's the theme of John's gospel. And I should say that every encounter with Jesus doesn't lead to belief, which is the result here that we see. There are many stories of encounters with Jesus in the gospels where people walk away like the rich young ruler who walks away sad. But John gives us a glimpse of encounters with Jesus that lead to what John again says I'm writing this gospel for is that you might believe. And we see this belief reflected in two different ways. First, in a confession about the the person of Jesus, the identity of Jesus. So verse 41, we have found the Messiah. That's what Andrew says. The long-awaited deliverer and king of Israel. Then on the lips of Philip to Nathanael in verse 45. We have found him of whom Moses and the law and also the prophets wrote. Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. And then on the lips of Nathanael to Jesus himself in verse 49. Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now we should note all of these uh, titles of Jesus, these names of Jesus that are given to him by these earliest disciples. These are about the story between God and Israel, this story that precedes the story that John is telling in his gospel, which John says the story I'm telling about Jesus fulfills the story of God and Israel. But these were Jewish people in that time who were awaiting God to show up and make his final and climactic actions in the world to set them free from their enemies. And to inaugurate the day of his rule again. As Isaiah 52 said, your God reigns. And Jesus comes and announces the kingdom. And these early disciples see Jesus in messianic terms. This is the king. This is the one who was promised. This is David's son that's come to take over, to take the throne. You are the one, Jesus, that we are waiting for. And this is the way they express their belief. Now, at this early stage in the narrative, they could not know the full depth of what they were ascribing to Jesus. Certainly Nathaniel, when he says, you are the son of God, the king of Israel, that is a messianic term about the one who would come and be king. But we know in John's gospel, having heard the prologue and getting then toward the end, that the gospel leads to seeing the depth and dimension of who in fact they are encountering in this one that we call Jesus. It is not just the Messiah, not just the king of Israel, but this is God in the person of his son coming to dwell among his people. And so what begins with rabbi... By the disciples here ends with Thomas's great confession at the end of the gospel after the resurrection the doubting one Thomas says my Lord and my God and John's narrative will take us on that journey to see the full depth of Jesus's own identity how mysterious this incarnation really is 
So there is this belief expressed in attribution of the identity of Jesus and understanding his identity. And that then leads to the dimension of belief of following Jesus. We cannot have a confession of Jesus's identity without a following of Jesus's person. And we really can't follow Jesus without knowing who he is. These two go together. They're dimensions of what John calls belief. And we see that in John the Baptist's preaching as the two disciples heard the preaching and they followed Jesus in verse 37. Or Jesus' encounter with Philip in verse 42, he says, follow me. Because Jesus is Lord, we follow him. And that means entrusting ourselves to him. It means letting go of the control in our lives and saying, Jesus, you're out in front and you're leading. So we yield. And in yielding, we find the life that he brings. The very opposite is what took place at the beginning of the story of humanity, where they took control but lost life. Jesus invites us to lose control, but to gain life. I want to close with a, a brief word on these final two verses that Jesus says to Nathaniel. Jesus tells Nathaniel, I saw you when you were sitting in the, under the fig tree. And Nathaniel, his cynicism quickly changes because there was no human way. It was not humanly possible for Jesus to have seen Nathaniel sitting under the tree. And so that's a supernatural action that takes Nathaniel from his cynicism to a profession of faith. And Jesus says, Jesus is a bit surprised. Do you believe? Because I said, I saw you when you were sitting under the fig tree. Jesus says, you will see greater things than that. And then he says, I tell you the truth. You shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. An encounter with Jesus promises more. And that's what Jesus says to Nathaniel here. You're amazed already, Nathaniel? Well, you're going to see even more. And Jesus taps into a well-known story from Genesis 28 of Jacob when he's at um, he's on a journey to find his wife to carry on the promised family. And there's a lot of danger ahead. And he lays down to go to sleep. And he has this dream where the heavens are open. And the angels of God are ascending and descending on this ladder in his dream. He wakes up from the dream in which God has promised to protect him and to guide him. To keep the promise to Abraham going forward. And Jacob wakes up and names the place Bethel. The house of of God. This is the place where heaven and earth have met. And Jesus taking these words in a bit of an enigmatic way upon his lips here early in the gospel is saying, I am the place where heaven and earth will meet. I am the place where God dwells now on earth. And you will see greater things than these, Nathaniel. There is more to come because the heavens are opened. Actually, the verb tense for open here is a perfect tense, implying something that's completed, a completed action. That means that the heavens are now ongoing and opened under Jesus. And as you follow me, Jesus is saying, to Nathaniel, to Philip, to Andrew, to Peter, to the other disciple, you will see greater things. And of course they will. They will see the intimacy between the Father and the Son, which is such a theme of John's gospel, opened up before them in account, in event after event. They will see the signs that Jesus performs that manifest his glory. The turning of water into wine, the, uh, the multiplication of bread, the opening the eyes of the blind, the raising of Lazarus, and, and then, of course, the greatest sign of all, the resurrection of Jesus himself. You will see more, Jesus says. And in many ways, we get to look back on the more that they saw. But there's also a sense in which 
Jesus's words apply even to us in the church today because the heavens remain opened. Jesus remains that place, that connecting point between heaven and earth. And as we encounter him and as we begin to follow him, to walk with him in faith, we will see more and more. Jesus is an inexhaustible well from which we are invited to drink. And a journey with him, an encounter with him that leads us then to repentance and faith, to following him, to coming to believe, is a journey that will take us to more and more. The, the, the heart of the Gospel of John, what John longs for us to have is life, eternal life. And Jesus' again, slightly mysterious words at the end of chapter 1 point us to the fact that more and more is to be found. Life will be ours to enjoy for all of eternity as a result of an encounter with him. May you encounter him. May you come and see this one who is the, the meeting place between heaven and earth and know his life, his depth, his love, his warmth. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that by your grace we could encounter Jesus. And I do pray particularly for those who have not yet fully yielded to him, that Lord Jesus, you would meet them in your grace and that you would use us as your people to invite them to come and see more and more about you. What a gift it is to belong to you, Lord Jesus. We worship you, we lift you up, we exalt you. Amen.